The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. This is another another opportunity for comments, questions, observations about your experience. Yeah, and let's pass the mic. I was noticing, I like lay down for most of today. Or it's, um, it's on. Okay, hold it a little closer. closer? There. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, I was lying down for most of the day because I recently had a foot surgery and I just wanted to like be very relaxed. Um, but it was interesting when you mentioned that comment about aversion, I was really trying to figure out, I tried to do a little bit of sitting and see like why it was uncomfortable. And, and, um, I think, I mean, I, like personally for me, I, I noticed that it, it, like it just felt uncomfortable. Like I was holding things in funny places and it was like, just not exactly what I wanted to be doing, but it was, it was also, I could, there recognize. were more, there were a lot of places that were uncomfortable. It sounds like not one specific place. Yeah. Just like a couple, a couple of spots of tension, which like maybe sometimes is a good practice to like dive into and just sort of stay with, um, but not really what I wanted to do today. But I mostly just wanted to say that it was kind of fun when everyone was doing what I was doing. <laughs> like it was actually slightly different to, to lie on the ground and know that everyone else was also lying down on the ground. And I was surprised by that. So <laughs> that's all. <laughs> the conditions of normalizing it, right? And, and that can let the mind relax in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about um, this open awareness practice, allowing things to 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 always receive, and um, I think it's different than the typical concentration practice. But in the open awareness, sometimes I find the urge to do concentration practice as I receive, and then I naturally go into that. You experience the urge and then naturally go into it. That I want to clarify that a little bit. So um, is it just that what happens is that the kind of the mind gravitates towards one object kind of without your doing it? Or yeah. is there an intention? It's like I think it just gravitates towards it mm-hmm. without me doing it. And then all of a sudden I find myself in kind of a state of concentration practice. Yes, uh-huh which is quite nice. It's, um, it's actually a nicer concentration experience than when I try to... Yes. Yeah, in fact, we can kind of stumble into a more relaxed form of the practice yeah, yeah. when we're not doing so much of it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so that was quite a pleasant um, uh, discovery. Um, and I do have one uh, question. Um, is... Do you have anything to say about um, intention and aspirations to practice and how it affects um, practicing? Because um, I I felt that, um, um, like, for example, coming to to IMC, 
there's intention to come and there's planning to come and all of that kind of preparation I feel I suspect that it helps with the practice itself and so the, the intention is it's different than wanting something but yes. I, I don't know, I don't know if, if you could talk a little bit just more about generally aspirations and intentions sure yeah um I think in terms of, you know, if the Buddha put um, intention right at the very beginning of the Eightfold Path, that there's a perspective, essentially, the, the view of it's helpful, basically helpful to, uh, want to, to, helpful to understand suffering in order to free the mind. And so that sets up, essentially, that understanding of what is supportive for us in terms of freeing the mind sets up intentions to engage with the practice in order to learn about our minds, in order to understand. And so this is a, this is a piece of our, of our practice. And like putting it right at the beginning of the Eightfold Path, I think, points to, yeah, we have to have intentionality around the practice in order to do anything so, um, you know, and, it, and in a way it is connected with um, a form of desire. Um, the, there's a, a Pali term, um, the Pali term for craving, which is the kind of neediness, the, the wanting that we talk about, the wanting things to go away, the wanting things to stay. The Pali word for that is tanha. And... Um, and often we would translate it as wanting. But there's another form of desire that um, is reflected by the Pali word chanda, which can be um, connected to either wholesome or unwholesome um, motivations, essentially. And so there is the recognition that there is a form of desire that can be connected with the aspirations, the aspirations to free one's mind, the connection with compassion, with love, with, um, with generosity. So all of the wholesome qualities can be connected with this, this aspirational kind of movement or direction of wanting to head in a certain direction. And that it, it is a form of, of intentionality and it's a form of, of um, action in our lives that can be motivated by wholesomeness. And, and without that, we're not going to do anything. You know, we're, we, would not, we would never step on the path without some form of that intentionality and aspiration. We wouldn't sit down to meditate with some form of that. And we have mixed motivations. It's pretty clear, you know, that... Um, and and until, until our minds are really freed from greed, aversion, and delusion, there are going to be motivations related to greed, aversion, and delusion, even connected with our practice. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage because, um, at least in my experience, I've seen that um, some of the the bigger forms of reactivity, my self-hatred, my anger, all of those, those really, really reactive patterns that were so strong in my life before I met the practice, um, the desire to practice was was connected both with a little bit of aversion to those states of mind, of wanting to get rid of them, of wanting to figure out how can I live without these things, and uh, some greed to have more pleasant states of mind, and yet also the deep wish to be free of suffering, which is the wholesome wish. And so 
um, the fact I, I I could see that my intentions had a kind of mixed motivations. Unfortunately, I I recognized, well, yeah, okay, yeah, there's some greed to practice, but it's really helping me to let go of this anger and to really understand this self-hatred. And boy, there's been a lot of change around that. So I'll put up with a little bit of greed around the practice. (laughs) And, and, And yet at some point, as the bigger kinds of reactivity began to really let go. I mean, just a lot of huge transformations around those old, big, deep, conditioned patterns. Um, Then the mind began noticing and experiencing the suffering that was connected to the wanting to be mindful or wanting to know, wanting to investigate that, that, so at that point there was some some kind of constriction, the, the constriction in the mind around that became clear. And I sometimes say that, you know, let suffering be your guide around this because the suffering in this case of, you know, major reactivity, the suffering of the major reactivity is so much more obvious than the suffering around clinging to to the, the investigation or clinging to mindfulness. That the clinging to mindfulness may actually be helping us to let go of those bigger things. But as those bigger things fall away, we begin to taste and recognize the, the clinging and the suffering around the, the, the subtler things. And, and then we get to look at those. <laughs> and so really this practice, you know, having this perspective of it's useful to notice the suffering and explore the, the letting go of that. It, it takes us to subtler and subtler and subtler levels of that clinging and suffering. And so just trusting that you know, if you're not experiencing a particular suffering around an aspiration and intention, trust that. You know, really just trust that. That it's, 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 if it seems to be heading you in the direction of cultivating more mindfulness, cultivating the wholesome states, and letting go of the unwholesome states, trust that. Yeah. Thank you. And one piece I'll say about the other piece you pointed to the, at the beginning around... Um, noticing how the mind kind of moved into concentration um, naturally. Um, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, because... Yeah. Um, partly, I, I mentioned early in the day that when we kind of let go and just let our minds do what it does, it will do what it's used to doing it will it will and so that this is this is the nature of the mind when we're not choosing what to do with it it will kind of respond to conditions based on conditioning based on habits based on and so sometimes as we have practiced a lot um, we sit down get in the sitting posture and what's the mind conditioned to do there notice the breath so that can be very natural. It can be a very natural thing that happens when we um, let go of choosing what to pay attention to. So that's my sense of what's going on there. You know, that, 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 that it's been conditioned that you have paid attention to the breath. And so those conditions unfolding actually created a very relaxed kind of concentration for you because you weren't doing it. And so sometimes I say if you notice that your mind is doing what it habitually does in meditation, 
there's two ways to explore that. And one is to just notice that that's what it's doing, you know, especially if it feels pretty easeful. That was my first approach that, you know, when I sat down, when I first met Sayadaw Utejaniya and I just let the mind do what it did, it attended to body. It was just, it, that's what it did. I had spent so much time noticing body sensations that that's what the mind did. And then I went and backed and reported that to Sayadaw. He said, well, you need to also notice the mind. Uh, but he didn't tell me how to do that. So the way in to what I decided was not to try to start by looking at the mind somehow, because I didn't quite know how to do that. Um, and trying to tie myself into nuts, what does it mean to look at the mind? I just decided to let myself start with what was most comfortable. So that was, you know, just relax, receive experience, noticing the body. And then I checked the relationship. That's noticing the mind. And what I noticed when I checked, how is the mind in relationship to being with the body? It's like, wow, it's pretty happy. I'm pretty content. Oh, that's the mind. And so, so I let it do its natural thing and then check the relationship to it. And from what I hear from your description, if you had done that, it would have been, there would have been quite a bit of ease in the mind available to be known. And this is actually pretty useful to, to notice that quality of ease in the mind. The other thing to check into is if the mind is doing its habitual kind of meditation is sometimes when it goes into a habitual meditation uh, practice, it also picks up the doing of that practice. You know, so it, it out of habit sometimes because we, we might have a habit of like, oh yeah, better count the breaths. You might find yourself engaged with some kind of activity around or efforting around that practice. And if that's happening, see if you can let go of the doing and just receive, rest again. Um, and again, it might be that the, that the concentration is there or whatever is happening stays without the active activity, activity of doing. But um, that's a way also to explore something extra that may be happening in our usual forms of meditation practice, some extra work that's, that's involved. So those two things are, can be interesting to, to explore when you notice the, the habit of meditation coming. Thank you. Yeah. Need to turn off your your device. Yeah. I feel like I'm on the Indianapolis five hundred. <laughs> my mind is picking up lots but I never recognized that I had suffering and uh, th- there's so much going on that the mind is on this racetrack and this at lunchtime I hadn't brought a lunch I just bought half of a watermelon as I ran out this morning and when I realized that we were supposed to bring our lunch and I wanted to get in the car and go, and I was going to, the mind was telling me to call this, call that, and come do, get on the phone and try to make something work. I couldn't remember. Well, I, I, I took my car out and was able to back it out. 
I got in a special place that's hard to, for me to get out. Uh, and I, I was trying, I'm trying to think of where I would go, and I went to, remember, Wendy's was down to the top, and they have some kind of good food if I made the right choice. And I, getting in and out, and then realized it isn't open. And then um, as I came, I'm making wrong turns. And then as I got used, I got an OnStar in my car. And I was able, I didn't panic in all of this, like I sometimes get fr really frustrated when I'm going the wrong way. I, to make a left-hand turn to go back, OnStar told me that um, I, I was trying to think of the healthy smoothies. I couldn't think of the name of the people that make healthy smoothies because I figured that would do it, I'd get a, a smoothie. So I want to remind you again about our, our guidelines for the daily life practice around well, as I keeping came, the story short and I, I, coming I to the this, practice but I part. Where, where it's, do not turn here. And I thought, I'm going to turn anyway. And I was able to pause okay. and go further to take the right turn. I mean, to do it right and not... I've only been caught once doing wrong Thing. I've only had one ticket in my lifetime. Um, and then I come to another thing uh, where I couldn't think of that name. It dawned on me, McDonald's have a healthy one. So McDonald's, <laughs> with all the, the noise that's going on in the head and the head being on this racetrack and stopping and going and stopping and going. I, I was driving carefully because when you're old, they're really eager to give you a ticket. <laughs> so I've been told. I haven't got them, but uh, anyway, I realized as the news point out, many old people get very frustrated and cause accidents. And when I get to that point, I promise myself I will give up my license. Uh, in this Thing, trying to get to McDonald's, they had to explain that it was on Whipple, and I was thinking it would be closer to go to St. Carlos, not... So I want to I stop okay. you for a second, and uh, remind you at the beginning, you said you didn't notice before that you had suffering. Yeah. And so where, what, it sounds like in this you were noticing some suffering, but can you more directly point to that? I didn't identify it as suffering until when you were talking... And see, I still didn't identify that as suffering, but I'm realizing there's been a lot of suffering that I hadn't thought was suffering. Yes, and so this is an important recognition. Oh. It's, it's very important because we go through our lives experiencing tension, tightness, frustration, and, and just following that without really knowing, oh, this is suffering. And this is the first noble truth the Buddha pointed to this as recognizing that suffering is happening is actually an insight. And it may not feel good, <laughs> you know, it, to, to notice it. It, it, it. It's kind of counterintuitive to, to recognize, oh, suffering is, is happening. That that is a good thing to notice. But it, it, it allows us then to um, have a new relationship to it. 
when we don't know it's suffering, it's kind of just motivating us to do things to get rid of the suffering. So it's, it's really important. So now it sounds like you've seen it kind of after the fact a little bit, but maybe having seen it after the fact, you'll be able to uh, notice it more in the moment. The, the awareness of that coming when you were talking there, but as I'm trying to, like being on this racetrack, and maybe the car gets on fire or something happens, um, the, um, that awareness came, and then all of a sudden I see a garage sale. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to resist it. Having seen it, see, seen that you, you, you noticed it, yes. <laughs> well, when I get an amnesia about a lot of things, does amnesia come into this? Is that well, what you know, with, with, with mindfulness, I mean, amnesia, my sense is, will be a lack of mindfulness. You know, there won't, there, and there won't be a lot that you can do in that, except in the moment when you come back, when you notice Oh, ba- mindfulness is back. Like you noticed seeing the garage sale sign. You noticed that, so you weren't lost in that point. So you could, you could, you could choose at that point. And that's an important piece to notice that, oh, mindfulness is back, and I can choose right now. And we have to stop, so it's the, uh, yeah, we have to stop now. So it's, it's, yeah, it's right. 4.30, it, it, so. Big, big awareness to me that it's, it, it's just like if you're ever watching us and the race tracks and what happens on the racetrack, and I feel like I'm on it. Great, because they're just one thought after another. Boom, <laughs> and you're boom. and you're aware of them, I hope. <laughs> so it's four thirty. So I'd like to reflect on that when we practice in this way, it supports not only ourselves, but all beings. That as we engage in becoming aware, it, it does ripple out from us. It affects how we are with other people. And that in turn affects them. And so may the benefits of our practice today, may the beneficial results of our practice today be shared and offered to support others. May others, may all beings be happy, healthy, safe, and at ease. And reflecting, remembering too, that in that wish for all beings to be happy, healthy, safe, and at ease, we are making that wish for ourselves because we are one of all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you.